When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's Jimmy Stein. I'm Clint Lamb, and this is the Bama Online YouTube channel. Jimmy, um, it's been a while, man. Uh, we, obviously, you got the holidays. You had National Signing Day. There was tons of content, but I was feeling a little under the weather. I guess everybody around this time of year, it seems like, has not been feeling great, but uh, I've been out of commission. I didn't realize it had been two weeks either. Like I went to go check the last time you and I hopped on to do a video. I was thinking, man. When's the last time we went seven or eight days without a video? And, and it says two weeks ago. And I was like, wow, that's uh, a lot longer than even I had realized. So I'm glad to be back on here with you talking a little Alabama football and the Rose Bowl and Michigan and all that stuff. Um, so we'll start off, though. How was your holidays, first of all? Excellent. Uh, excellent. It's always good. To, you know, I live a- away from my family for the first time in a long time since I've been up here in Tuscaloosa. So Super nice to get back back home and uh, spend time with my family and my wife's family. And uh, uh, we have multiple Christmas. We, we have one more to go. Uh, we, got, we got one more Christmas to go after New Year's in uh, Louisiana with more of my wife's family. So uh, uh, it's sort of never ending for, for, for us. But uh, it's great. Great to spend time with family. Yeah, it always is for sure. It was nice getting to spend some time in Athens with my family as well. Uh, it was unfortunate that I was feeling under the weather. Um, yeah. It's you know, the whole timing. Yeah, it was it was poor timing, but it, I, I ended up feeling well enough where when Christmas Day and all that stuff rolled around, I was I was pretty much good. Um, you know, outside of a cough. I can't stand the coughs, man. It just <laughs> causes so many issues and no one wants to be around you in public. It's like I can't go out. And I mean, anyways, um we're not here to talk about sicknesses or Christmas or any of that. So that's great. Uh, the, those are for different podcasts. We're here to talk about Alabama versus Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Haven't really had a chance to talk too much about it. Uh, now we're only days away. I mean, we're sitting here on Thursday, and and I will say, with the fact that you know Christmas and where it fell, you know, getting back home to Birmingham and trying to get back in the groove of things, it's just my my calendar internal calendar has felt very off. It doesn't feel like Thursday, uh, even though, as you pointed out before we hopped on here, Thursday is the Tuesday in this scenario because the game's not until Monday when it would typically be on a Saturday. So it's just, it's as far as getting content out and when would be the best time to post it, it's been kind of crazy, but such a fascinating matchup. And I think the more I've dove into it, the more fascinating it's become because I feel like these teams are very, this is one of the harder games that I've ever tried to predict for Alabama. Uh, And I don't know about you, but we'll go ahead and get started. We'll, We'll kick it to you. And what are your, thoughts as you've gone through the process of of evaluating Michigan trying to you know figure out where Alabama's at what has been your kind of feel for how you think this game could potentially play out or what are some things that have stood out to you the reason I find it particularly hard to predict Clint is I know Michigan's good I know they are I mean there there there's no question they are and I'm not talking about simply because some national people pick them to win the national championship some national media types pick them to win the national title before the season even started. They were in the playoff in 2021 and in 2022, 
And some people thought this was Harbaugh's most experienced, best team he's had since he's been there. Uh, they got a quality quarterback. Uh, I, I know they're good. And then you look at the scores of their games, and you once again realize this is a good team. They won all of their games, and most of the time they won their games handily. Uh, this is a really good team. But then the difficult part for me, Clint, is when you break down who they've beaten, it's hard to convince yourself that they're great because they really haven't beaten many good teams at all. I've mentioned this on the message board on the roundtable at BOL multiple times. I think on three different occasions now, I have listed the quarterbacks they have beaten. And I, I'm not trying to dog anybody. That's not my style. I would never do that to anybody. That's not my intent when I do that. But it's such a display of literally who are these guys? I mean, no names, to be frank. I mean, they've beaten mostly no-name quarterbacks. The best quarterback they've played all season long is Talia Tungavaloa, who's a good player. I'm not, I'm not dogging Talia, certainly. Good player. But for a team playing in the playoff, a team that won the Big Ten, would you normally say the best quarterback they faced in 13 games is Talia Tungavaloa, who's probably would be an undrafted free agent in the draft? Um, it, it's very difficult to look at this Michigan team and know exactly who they are and exactly how good they are. Whereas the Alabama team, well, of course, we're going to say this because we watch every second of everything they ever do. <laughs> we kind of know this Alabama team really well. I feel like even after 13 games, I don't really know the Michigan team at all. Yeah, that you hit the nail on the head. Um, and there's so many different ways. Like it's the, the non-Power 5 out of conference game. They didn't have one. Uh, it's the fact that their schedule overall has been, you know, it was it, it towards the back half of the, of the season. I mean, when you play a, a top 10 or 11 Penn State team, you play Iowa, who I think has only dropped one spot to number 17. You play Ohio State, who is number seven right now, uh, was a, a, a college football playoff contender. Um, so they, it's not like they haven't played anybody. We've gotten a better feel for who this Michigan team is, in my opinion, over the last month, but or month and a half. But it's still you wonder about the schedule, the fact that their defense has been so dominant, nine and a half points per game allowed. Like that's extremely impressive. Um, and but but then you look at the offenses that they've played, and it's like they haven't played a single offense that from a total yards perspective ranks in the top 30 in college football. And they've played over half of their teams that they've played rank outside of the top 100. And they, the several more rank in the seventies and the sixties. And it's like, just when you look at their offenses, granted, when you talk about scoring offenses, I think Penn state sitting there at number 12, but outside of them, it's kind of a very similar situation. All these teams are ranked outside of the top 30. And Alabama's offense hadn't been this scoring juggernaut like we've seen in the last couple of years. So that's, that's not me saying, oh, I don't think their defense is good or they'll be able to stop Alabama. But I think from a comparison standpoint, it's just difficult because everybody looks at Michigan's defense and the fact that they're ranked number one or number two in a ton of statistical categories. But then you got to you look at the offenses and it's like, what are, what are Big Ten offenses truly? And when you look at the defenses for in the Big Ten, it's the same question, just like it is with Michigan. Like, how much is it? 
that those defenses, how good is Iowa's defense? Are they really that good? Or is it that they played a bunch of Big Ten offense that aren't that great or that dynamic? And that's what's helped prop them up. It's the style in which the Big Ten plays football that controls the clock, clock it keeps the, the, the score down, all those different things. And so that's what's been difficult for me in evaluating. You know, you look at it and you say there's a lot of NFL talent. And I say NFL talent, it's not like it's a bunch of first and second round picks, but a lot of NFL talent at all three levels of Michigan's defense. I think they're really good. I think they play extremely well together, but it's just trying to get a gauge for how does that translate to playing a team, a very talented team like Alabama, who's figured some things out offensively and they could present some challenges. Uh, that's what I've been having a hard time with, Jimmy. Yeah, I mean, I'll name even a couple of SEC quarterbacks that are good, but short of awesome. Uh, Jackson Dart, really good player, really good player. K.J. Jefferson, really good, proven player. Michigan hadn't played a Jackson Dart or a K.J. Jefferson to say nothing of Jaden Daniels. <laughs> I mean, they, they uh, and until they, they do, it's kind of hard to say. Now, they're good. Like you point out, they're you know, pro football focus says Michigan and Alabama have the most draftable players. So they're the two most talented teams. Uh, I, I think that's with a bit of a caveat to me. And you already pointed out, Clint, uh, you know, Alabama does have first and second round picks on the field. I, I don't really see Michigan as having, uh, you know, beyond a couple of those guys, maybe, uh, but they do have a team full of guys that will be in NFL camps next fall of a team full of them. I mean, virtually the entire lineup, uh, they're just more day three guys. And I, I don't mean that insulting in any way, a day three NFL player, you know what I call them an NFL player. I mean, they're, they're, they're good. Um, you know, I've, I've really examined their first two months. I'm going to get to that third month uh, today. And of course I know what happened in those games. I even watched uh, a couple of them, Ohio state, Iowa, but uh, you know, when I watch this Michigan team, I see a team that's uh physical, a team that gets it done. I think it's embodied to me by their wide receiver, Ramon Wilson. I, I think to me, if I had to pick one guy on Michigan's team that I'm like, okay, this describes their team, it's, it's Ramon. And this is why. Uh, he's good. He's he's a good football player. In my mind, he's a day three pick in the NFL draft. Uh, in my opinion, he'll make an NFL team and he'll play in the NFL for, for a good while. Uh, but he's not big. He's not a freak. Uh, I don't think he's a four, three guy. Uh, and, and he needs to be at that size to be awesome, but he's not. But let me tell you, if you underestimate Ramon Wilson, you will get beat. He, he finds a way that guy, that guy's good. He finds a way even against good opponents like Ohio state and Iowa and Penn state. Uh, he's a good good football player. In fact, I don't think Alabama's played too many wide receivers better than him. If they played a handful, certainly, you know, the Malik neighbors types, but uh, I think he, he in particular is, is a warning. I think to Alabama fans who go, uh, they're a team from the North big 10 slow. They're non-athletic. Yeah. You go cover that guy. Tell him he's not athletic. I mean, uh, I, I just watching as I've taken a new look at Michigan these, this past week, and I've watched a lot of tape and gone over all their numbers. I just find him intriguing. Like, uh, man, don't don't sell them short. He will make you pay. Uh, yes, and their their wide receiver room in general, it's it's nothing spectacular, but I think it's a good group. Uh, like, I they can. 
they can beat you if you let them beat you. Uh, their tight end room is one of the better tight end rooms in the country, and I think that that's it's really interesting that Alabama played Georgia in the SEC championship, and now they're playing another tight end room. Now, granted, Brock Bowers was not 100%, but he's also just a different caliber player than anything Michigan's got at the position. No one even comes close. So I would say a limited Brock Bowers is more similar to what Michigan's going to bring to the table. And then, you know, you look at the rest of the room with Oscar Delp and those guys, it's like it, the, the the rooms are somewhat comparable. Um, and so I find that interesting in the way the personnel usage that Michigan's going to use as far as using 12 personnel, getting a couple of tight ends on the field. They're going to want to bang between the tackles. Uh, they got that thunder lightning with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards where it's like, um, you know, Corum's going to be your hammer, very physical, going to be a goal line. Uh, monster. He's going to rack up touchdowns. He's going to convert in short yardage situations. And that's something that I think is pretty important for Alabama's defense is don't allow Michigan to live in, in second and shorts, third and shorts, and allow them to keep their playbook open. What you want to do is put them in longer, you know, second longs, third and mediums, things like that, and prevent Blake Corum from being able to do what he does well, which is convert the short stuff. And so that's an important piece of this. But then you got Donovan Edwards, who was kind of last year, he was their explosive player when Corum went down. Uh, just was, I, I mean, the amount of explosive plays that he's, he was able to generate was pretty spectacular this year. I mean, I think he's only got a couple. It's been kind of bizarre, but he's still capable of that at any moment. And he's a big part of their passing game. And that's something that Alabama's linebackers and, and safeties and, and stars are going to need to keep an eye on. But the the offense for Michigan, um, it's a good group. I think Zach Zinner uh, going down an All-American guard, that certainly has affected things. They kick their right tackle inside. They're starting somebody who's been playing extremely well uh, at right tackle. Uh, he had been rotating in quite a bit, but now he's their full-time right tackle. He's performed well in pass protection against some of these other teams, you know, like Ohio State and Iowa, and, and it's not like it's been against scrub competition. So he's actually doing pretty well. Uh, but, um, you know, how does that end up looking, you know, when you've got Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, and then you've got the, the right tackle who shifted inside the right guard, you've now got Justin, the boy be going against him in some certain situations, some obvious passing situations. How does he hold up? How does the run game? I think one of the things, anybody that's previewed Michigan, I can almost guarantee you, I haven't listened to a ton of it. Um, but you know, the things that I have listened to, I guarantee you, this is a common theme amongst everybody is how well is Michigan able to run the football because how well they do on that front will dictate pretty much this entire game. If they're able to do that effectively and they can play off of that defensively, they, they, they keep the uh, defense off the field, give them plenty of breaks, play JJ McCarthy off of that, all these different things that bodes extremely well for Michigan. And if Alabama can stop the run, put them in, in bad situations, make J.J. McCarthy throw the football. And I think he's a better player than a lot of people give him credit for. I don't think he's been healthy. I know he hadn't been healthy since the Penn State game. And that's affected not only his mobility, but also his ability to step into throws and drive the football and things like that. I think he's a better player than he's been given credit for. But I still don't think he's that guy where he's going to be comfortable with the game being put on his shoulders. So how much is Alabama able to do that or how much is Michigan able to run the football and things like that? I think that's a huge part of this game, Jimmy. Yeah, I think J.J. McCarthy's really good. 
he, he's a pro football player to me. He's, he's, he's very accurate when he's healthy. He's, he's, a, he's a really good passer, but he's not as dynamic as Milrow. There's not a track record with that deep ball, nor is there a 4-4-40 there. I mean, you know, uh, so he's not as dynamic as, as Jalen, and I wouldn't call McCarthy a playmaker, but what he is is, when healthy, highly efficient. He is a plus athlete for the position, and he's sort of a winner, you know, ever since he's taken over the job at Michigan, uh, they they win the football game most every week. I mean, uh, so uh, I think McCarthy is another guy that you absolutely don't need to uh, sell short. Uh, he, he is going to be one of the more elite quarterbacks. We talked about, you know, as Michigan played, Michigan hadn't played a quarterback like McCarthy. I mean, he's been the best quarterback on the field in every game he's played this year. Uh, and, and this will be maybe the first game where he's not. And I'm sure he's he's challenged by that. I mean, Milrow has been uh, more of the headline maker uh, among the quarterbacks in this game. Uh, you talked about that run game. I couldn't agree more. You know, my my view of Michigan has changed since I really studied them. And I think that's what our audience will find interesting is I sort of started my Michigan study with a few preconceived notions that have changed. And, and one of the notions that changed for me was my surface uh, interpretation of Michigan or my surface view of them was, okay, this is a really physical run the ball team. And they're going to be one of the most physical downhill, difficult to stop rushing offenses that Alabama has faced. Well, I think personnel wise, that's what they are. And I think that's what they would like to be. But honestly, it's been a bit of a struggle for them running the ball, not a struggle in the sense that, well, there's another game where they didn't crack the 100-yard mark. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about what you referenced in that last year Donovan Edwards was hitting home runs like Aaron Judge. Last year, Michigan was running for 300-yard games. Last year's 300-yard game is this year's 200-yard game. I mean, 200 yards has been kind of a, a, a not-every-week thing for them despite the schedule they play. Uh, I think they want to be physical, downhill, 12 personnel, we're going to hand it to Corum and you can't stop it type team. They've been stopped at times. Corum, who's good, definitely a good player. To me, he's been, well, he's more of an 80-yard a week back, not a 100-yard a week back. Now he's cracked 100 yards a couple times. But generally, Blake Corum's rushed for about 80 yards in a game, and uh, Donovan Edwards has been uh, even less effective. So Michigan wants to run the ball, but they've struggled a bit and they haven't hit many home runs. And in describing Michigan that way, I think I just described Alabama. Alabama would like to run the ball with 12 personnel and be super physical and tell you, hey, we're going to we're going to run it off tackle here to Jason McClellan. Good luck stopping it. Well, guess what? They get stopped a lot. Alabama has not dominated the opposition running the football and I think they would like to, and I think both teams are going to come into this game wanting to establish the run. It just won't be easy. It, I think you're 100% correct once again, and that's the thing. Okay, uh, this is how I'll put it. Alabama has played a J.J. McCarthy this season. They've played a quarterback who can throw the football effectively, who's got some mobility. You know, Jackson Dart's one of those guys. How – Ole Miss plays offense is drastically different than how Michigan plays offense. Uh, so it's like, that's why I say to keep 
J.J. McCarthy in his comfort zone to keep that offense and really that team in general in their comfort zone. Uh, they need to establish their own lead. They need to be able to control the line of scrimmage, play good defense, run the football effectively enough, and then you can play J.J. McCarthy off of that. Uh, but Alabama has seen that caliber of quarterback. Michigan has not seen a caliber of quarterback that the, uh, the caliber of athlete, the quarterback is, uh, position especially, that Alabama brings to the table with Jalen Milrow. I mean, it's just, and when you look not only at his athleticism and the fact that he's a dynamic athlete, but also you look at the fact that he has the complementary vertical passing game. He's figured some things out with the short to intermediate stuff. I think he's still spotty. And, and, you know, the consistency factor is not there in that area, but he can do enough where he can take advantage. I don't think any quarterback that Michigan has played up to this point has, A, had a mobility. Um, you know, you look at Leah Tungavaloa, you look at Kyle McCord. These are guys who can generate some on the ground. They can extend some plays. Uh, I think Leah's ability to create is the closest thing that Michigan has seen to Jalen Milrow's ability to create. Uh, but at the same time, you you weren't threatened by Leah's ability to run the football like you are Jalen's. So it's it's just it's difficult because it's kind of like when Carson Beck in the SEC championship going in, the big thing that I said was Carson Beck up to this point, he has not been made uncomfortable. No one has pressured him consistently, maybe Missouri to a certain extent, but no one has been able to consistently do it, get him out of his game, get him off his game, and, and try to make him uh, beat you in other ways. And it's the first time he had really seen it to that degree, and he was affected by it. He didn't play a great football game. Well, it's kind of the same thing where you look at Michigan and you say they haven't seen a caliber of athlete at the quarterback position like Jalen Milrow. They've played some dual-threat guys. Gavin wins it, uh, who, you know, for Rutgers, he's kind of a, a, a mobile guy, but he hadn't thrown for more than 200 yards in a single game this season. He hadn't thrown more than one touchdown in a single game this season. So he's just Michigan, when they played him, they could put more of an emphasis on his legs, and they didn't have to worry about him being able to counter and use his arm to beat them. With Milrow, he can do that. Like If you stack the box, if you use two quarterback spies like Georgia did, and you take stuff out of your pass rush, you take stuff away from your coverage, Jalen Milrow has the ability to make you pay for it. And that's what makes this so fascinating is what it's not that Michigan's not capable of managing that style or that caliber of player, or that combination of, of skills. It's that we don't know. And that's what I have a hard time with. And that's where Michigan, much like Carson Beck did in the SEC championship, I could kind of see him getting a little bit or, or Michigan getting a little bit overwhelmed by, you know, and, and it's the same thing with any, Dynamic athlete at the quarterback position. Alabama tried to replicate Jaden Daniels all week in practice when they played LSU. They get out on a football field, and it's like they've never seen a dual-threat quarterback before. I mean, he was running – he was having his way with their defense. I mean, it was – I mean, and, and Bama fans will admit that. That's why a lot of Alabama fans supported the fact that Jaden Daniels deserved the the Heisman because they're like, I mean, uh, big stage in Tuscaloosa. He's pretty much had our way uh, with, with our defense until we got hurt. Um, but, you know, it's just it's something Michigan hadn't seen, and Alabama has seen plenty of quarterbacks like J.J. McCarthy. Uh, it's definitely advantage Alabama, but it's advantage Alabama just about every week when you have a Jalen Milrow uh, at quarterback where he can beat you in, in multiple ways and not just one. 
Uh, J.J. McCarthy similar. I don't want to sell him short athletically. J.J. McCarthy won't. It's not like uh, he can he can move the chains with his legs. He will flat out win the game with his legs if you let him. I mean, you know, he he's very, very athletic. Now, he's just not Jalen Milrow. I think with Milrow being so athletic, Michigan has to almost declare early in the game Okay, this is how we're gonna defend Jalen. This is this is this was our plan. And then at that point, Tommy Reese has time to say, okay, now we understand Michigan's plan. So this is what we're going to do to adjust. And Milrow uh thankfully gives Tommy Reese a lot of options there. You know, Georgia actually tried to defend Milrow with two spies at times, which is super fascinating. And maybe that's something that Michigan may copy. Now, there's an advantage to that. <laughs> there's an advantage, obviously, when you're putting two guys on the quarterback, someone's open, and it's going to be on Jalen to find that guy uh, that's got one-on-one or one-on-zero coverage somewhere. And, uh, you know, we're going to spend a lot of our time, Clint, this upcoming offseason talking about Jalen's offseason and the things he can do to improve. And it starts with, I think, you know, he leaves a lot of plays on the field. And that's simply because teams have to go to lengths to defend him. And when they do, they give up something. You know, you give something, you give up something. I think team defenses give up a lot when they declare how they're going to defend Jalen. And Jalen in 2024 needs to be the type quarterback that says, okay, you're going to use two spies on me? Well, this is what I'm going to do to you, and you can't defend it. Oh, you're going to use one spy? This is what I'm going to do. Use no spies? Okay, this is what I'm going to do. And – Jalen needs to have an answer for everything. And uh, I think he can really spend the offseason on that. Now, this isn't the offseason, and you've got a limited amount of time uh, with finals and things like that. Alabama hasn't been practicing since the day after the Georgia game. They've had a lot of academic responsibilities. Jalen even graduated, for instance. Uh, but I think Michigan's declaration early, you know, hey, this is our plan for defending Jalen. And then, boom, you have Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow given time to, okay, how are they going to adjust to whatever it is that Michigan decided to do? Yeah, and I'll tell you right now, uh, would be very foolish of Michigan to do the two-quarterback spot thing. And and I get the logic behind it because Georgia had struggled so much with containing perimeter runs, especially from the quarterback position. And it's like you're trying to compensate and make sure that's not how Alabama beats you because that's – kind of what makes Jalen the most comfortable, but just watching how he was able to adjust, which isn't overly surprising. I mean, when he's got all day in the pocket because you're not sending enough guys and you're not compensating for that by having enough guys in coverage, overloading the coverage and, and not giving him anywhere to go with the football, that just that's a bad combination. Jalen Milrow is, is a much more capable passer than I think uh, Georgia gave him credit for. I, and I'm not saying that they didn't respect him as a passer, but it's like any quarterback halfway decent if you don't have the numbers in coverage and you don't have the numbers forcing pressure and forcing him to make decisions and things like that he's going to pick you apart and I mean granted I think the he got overwhelmed a little bit just because he did have his legs taken away um but it just it was such there were so many opportunities presented elsewhere that it was almost impossible for him not to take advantage of it and I just think that Michigan they're probably going to take more of the approach of we want to put pressure on this guy. And one thing I will say about Michigan's defense is they've been able to apply pressure without sending a lot of blitzes. Like they don't have to get creative in how they do it. 
they don't have any dominant pass rushers. Like they don't have anybody like they don't have a Dallas Turner or a Will Anderson or even a Chris Braswell, in my opinion, guys who are high NFL caliber uh, pass rush, you know, players. Um, but what they do have is they have a bunch of really, really good pass rushers. And it's kind of that's what I find interesting is that it's not really that their defensive front is not something that you can scheme against and say, okay, we'll get Jalen moving, you know, to the opposite side. We'll get him away from Will Anderson, you know, coming you know, off the left side. We'll get him scrambling to the right, kind of take certain guys out of the equation and interior pass rusher. If you've got a dominant one of those, you get your quarterback moving outside the pocket, kind of limit his ability to impact the football game. You can't really do that against Michigan because they're, there's no one that stands out above the rest, but they're all really good. So that if you try to do that, then you're playing into the hand of someone else. And so that will be fascinating to watch. Uh, but I think the approach will be get some pressure on Jalen Milrow. They're probably going to have a spa, uh, but it's probably just going to be one. And then it's you rely on a really good secondary to you know be able to hold up on the back end. And that's you know we'll see how they're able to do that. But just this, uh, yeah, I understand. I, I said that Michigan hadn't seen a quarterback like Jalen Milrow. And that's new. And how do they respond to that? On the flip side of that, I did say that Alabama has has seen quarterbacks like J.J. McCarthy. So that's not new. But what is new is I don't think Alabama has played a team as physical as Michigan wants or likes to be. Has it always been effective? No. But that is something that is kind of their identity. They want to be, they want to play that bully ball. Uh, very similar to, Mich- uh, to to Georgia in that way. So, at the same time, I have a hard time, and a lot of people, are, you know, Alabama hadn't really dealt with that physicality yet, and so we don't know how they'll respond. That's been something where a lot of people have questioned Alabama and can they hold up or whatever. Even though Alabama has not been the same Alabama in the last couple of years, I have a hard time seeing an Alabama team that seems to be want to be built on physicality as well. The offensive line's massive. They want to move people in the run game. There's big defensively at all three levels. Like you look at Michigan's secondary, it's really good. It's talented. It's not as big as Alabama's. Like Alabama's got the talent and the the production and all that stuff, but they're also just massive NFL caliber sized. Same thing with their linebackers, same thing with their defensive front. And so I have a hard time, even though Michigan likes to play that physicality or that physical style of football and Alabama hadn't really seen that to that degree yet, I have a hard time imagining Alabama getting out physical by anybody. No, that's a great point. And you were comparing earlier. I do think if I had to pick a team that Michigan reminds me of in terms of what this challenge would be like, it's Georgia. I mean, they're, they're, they're a Georgia type team in terms of the personnel they put on the field is Georgia-ish. Georgia's better, to be honest. I mean, in terms of individual dudes, uh, I think Georgia outdudes Michigan, but not by a lot, just by like, you know, second round to fourth round. I mean, not not, not by a lot. Uh, but I think their style of play is like Georgia, the 12 personnel look, the we're going to be physical and run it between the tackles. What gives me a lot of hope, Clint, or a lot of optimism, though, is if I had to compare J.J. McCarthy and how good he is, and he is good, to somebody that Alabama has faced, you can't – there's no one that Michigan faced that's like Milrow. We've spent the whole show pointing that out. There's no one. Uh, Alabama's faced J.J. McCarthy-type quarterbacks. And I'll tell you one, 
uh, to me that's like him is Jackson Dart. Now, now I think McCarthy is a more accurate passer. And, and On maybe short to intermediate, probably. His, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and I think he's probably, you know, from, from being a little bit older, uh, maybe Dart will be McCarthy next year. I can sort of see that happening. Um, but McCarthy and, and Dart are similar in terms of uh, good passers. Uh, McCarthy, again, better short and intermediate. Maybe Jackson Dart might be a little bit better at taking deep shots. But Jackson is also very athletic. He'll rush for 100 yards on you. He, he's had 100-yard rush games in the past at Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss has a, a, a quality back in Judkins that's similar to Blake Corum. I think Judkins, when healthy, probably a little better than Corum when he's healthy. Uh, I, so my point being is this. Alabama did a great job on Jackson Dart. Dart didn't do much. There's a lot of Alabama fans listening out there going, I didn't think much of Dart. That's because you saw Alabama play Dart, you know, this year. And, and, and Alabama, I think, probably in terms of holding Ole Miss to 10 points, that may have been the high point of the season for Alabama's defense in terms of, wow, you held Ole Miss to 10? Um, and so Alabama has faced a McCarthy-type quarterback, a good passer who's also athletic, who has a good running back, can't ignore the running back because you're worried about the quarterback. Alabama did such a great job on Dart. I feel like Alabama's well-prepared for taking on McCarthy. Uh, to me, the question defensively, and me and you love this stuff, gets into the weeds just a bit. But Alabama is primarily a nickel defense. I mean, that's what, what you see Alabama in almost all the time, almost 80% of the time Alabama is in nickel. And keep, keep this in mind, people, uh, or, or some people can get a little off here. You don't line up defensively to force the offense to do something. Your defense is reacting to how the offense lines up. I mean, if Michigan comes out in four wides, then Alabama's going to be a dime. If Michigan comes out in, 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 you know, two guys in the backfield and a tight end, Alabama's going to be regular. Alabama's usually a nickel as a response to how the other team lines up. And when the other team lines up in a way that gives you some options, Alabama usually chooses nickel. If Alabama's got, well, we can do a couple things here, Alabama's going to choose nickel almost every time. So to me, a great question is Michigan in the, with their 12 personnel, similar to Georgia, but with even more of an intent to run it. And without a Brock Bowers, without a dynamic slot guy, how is Alabama going to defend that? All season long, I would tell you, well, they're going to come out in their heavy nickel, which is what we call nickel with one outside linebacker and Justin Aboigby lining up what amounts to outside as a defensive end in that four-man nickel front. Well, in this particular game, Clint, we might see, and this is what intrigues me, for the first time all year, Alabama come out in regular base defense, which is, you know, three defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, a front seven with Alabama's standard 3-4 as a response to Michigan's 12 personnel and we're going to run the ball and there's not a, a dynamic slot receiver that keeps you up at night like Georgia's got, which forces you into nickel. I think Alabama might be in regular, which makes sense, except in this sense, I think they've probably lined up in regular Non-short yardage, lining up in regular, I would guess less than 30 snaps all season long, and I might be off by 20 snaps because it might only be 10. Yeah, it has not been a lot at all. 
And and I think that it's possible, like, and this is what I find interesting about, there's a lot to look at, and we'll get into this more, but you look at, like, the fact that Alabama's game planning defensively, as of late, it hadn't been that great, in my opinion. Like, how many games, the Tennessee stands out, the Georgia, where they have a game plan going in, and then after the first drive, Nick Saban, after the SEC championship, he was like, yeah, we scrapped that. We we went back to doing, you know, we were surprised at how effectively we could stop the run uh, based off of those adjustments. And, you know, so, but it was like, that wasn't the game plan going in. They didn't think they'd be able to do certain things and they were able to do them. And now I give them credit for adjusting. And I think that's big. That's a huge part of the game. But like, we talk a lot about the long layoff. And I think the long layoff definitely favors Alabama. Michigan has not been great under Jim Harbaugh when it comes to, you know, uh, bowl games and, and college football playoff games and all those things. One in six, six straight losses. Um, and so, you know, I'll be curious to see how that ends up playing into this. Alabama has typically been really good after long layoffs, but, you know, if they've spent the last three or four weeks game planning a certain thing and then they get into the game and very quickly realize, just like they did in the SEC championship, oh, that this isn't what we need to do. Like Tennessee, they try to do some three-man fronts early, some uh, some odd fronts, and very quickly they were like, we just need to play us. We just need to do what we do, and and we'll see how it goes. And they ended up being a lot more dominant against Tennessee's offense uh, once they made those adjustments. Well, it's like, you know, if you spent three weeks doing it a certain way and then you get in the game and then you kind of scrap it, it's like you just wasted three weeks. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it, that's – and that's not me – that's not a knock on Kevin Steele. Uh, Kevin Steele hadn't really – you know, um, that's not a knock on Nick Saban. That's not a knock on Travars Robinson and, and or anything, because they've had the ability to adjust. But uh, typically, when Alabama has had a game plan in these types of games after a long layover, they've came out and executed it, and it was the right game plan, the right choice, and they've dominated as a result. I'll be curious to see how much that ends up playing into this, because you know, you look at Alabama defensively, and it just seems like. They've been more comfortable doing what they do. And I think a key difference between Georgia and Michigan, because as far as personnel uh, and the way that they run it offensively, uh, you know, execute that personnel or, or deploy that personnel, it's very similar. You know, the 12 stuff, Michigan does a lot more 21 with two backs and one tight end. Um, but I think a key difference is that Georgia throws the football to set up the run. They, they they play in uh, similar formations, do some similar things to Michigan, but it was a lot more on Carson Beck. Open up our run game by effectively throwing the football. Like they come out against Alabama, and they're doing a bunch of misdirection, uh, play action, get the football out of Carson Beck's hands, get Alabama on its heels, and then they capitalize on that first drive with a, a touchdown run. Um, and so like that's kind of how they operate, and that's how they've operated this entire season. Michigan's not that way. They don't throw to set up the run. They run to set up the throw. And if they are effective enough to running the football, they don't even worry about playing off of that much. They'll they'll run it 40 straight times to, if they feel like they can. So it is different. Like Alabama against Georgia, they were able to do certain things defensively that I'm not sure they're going to be able to do against Michigan because Michigan's going to be a lot more committed to establishing its run game and then playing off of that in comparison to Georgia, who is like, hey, uh, you know, we're not going to have as as much of a commitment to the run game. 
Uh, if if Carson Beck needs to drop back and throw it a bunch of times, we're totally fine with that happening. Yeah, I mean, it's 12 personnel, but it's radically different. And I, and I love that explanation that Georgia is in 12 personnel, but one of their two tight ends is one of the most difficult pat guys to defend in the pass game than anybody in the whole country. Whereas when Michigan's in 12 personnel or 21, that extra, the two, whatever the two is, whether it's the second tight end or the second back, I mean, that guy is, isn't a dynamic Brock Bowers. He's probably out there to block you and, and put somebody on their back. So Michigan is going to run the ball, period. And that's why I think you might see Alabama in defensive alignments that are, okay, well, we've got to stop the run because they're just going to run it, period, which screams to me being regular, Uh or, or heavy nickel. And also this, here's a second facet to, to what I was talking about earlier and, and, and to line up with what you said about, you know, hey, Michigan's going to keep running the ball. What does Alabama do at star? You know, they've played three different players lately, regardless of health, health having nothing to do with it. Based on matchup, Alabama has changed who the star has been. It's usually Malachi Moore. Sometimes it's been Caleb Downs. When Alabama gets very focused on stopping the run, it's been Caleb. Sometimes it's Terry on Arnold. Terry on plays star every game uh, when you're in dime because they bring in Trey Amos as, as, a, as a six DB and Trey Amos plays corner and Terry on slides into star. So Alabama can play Terry on, they can play Malachi, they can play Caleb. Some might say, hey, Michigan's going to run the ball, play Caleb at star, put Caleb up at the line of scrimmage and him be that extra run defender at star if you're in nickel. I don't think so. Because I, I think Caleb's just too good at safety. And I think Malachi Moore is is extremely well suited to play star versus Michigan because I think Malachi might be at his best when he's disruptive as a run defender when he's up there. So I, I would anticipate Alabama sticking with Malachi Moore at star, which means Caleb Downs is at back in, in the back end at safety uh, along with Jalen Key uh, in that situation possibly Christian Story, who who I think has played more and more down the stretch for a reason. Uh, but uh, I, I like how Alabama has the pieces to match up with Michigan. They can go to regular. Keep in mind, when Alabama goes to regular, one thing that's very exciting about that is Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell are on the field at the same time. And doesn't that sound like a good idea, to, to always have those athletic, big, physical outside linebackers, both of them on the field at the same time? Uh, Alabama can move Caleb Downs to star, or they can keep him in the back. And if they keep him in the back, they still have a physical presence at star in Malachi Moore. So I like Alabama's defensive personnel a lot. And if this game is a race to what I, I think ultimately is a score that can win this game, and I, I think that score is 27. I mean, I do. I, I, I think if Michigan scores 27, they're, they're going to win this game, in my opinion. If Alabama scores 27, they're going to win the game. In my opinion, uh, what it's a race to 27, and I think Alabama has the right defensive pieces to defend Michigan and what Michigan wants to do. And if Michigan's going to win this game and get to 27, I think they're going to have to throw it more than their usual or more than they're comfortable throwing it. And that's so fascinating that you bring up the Caleb Downs thing because we talked about that being a possibility against Georgia. But in hindsight, the different, like the personnel you thought would dictate that, because that's something that Alabama has kind of liked to do. And Georgia was running the football up more effectively. And so you thought just to ensure, you know, put the game on Carson Beck's shoulders, they might put an emphasis on stopping the run. 
And then, you know, very quick, and they did early on. And then they, they're like, screw it. This didn't work. And they're running the football anyways. Let's go two high looks. Let's go, you know, more, uh, you know, 40 fronts. And they were able to stop the football or stop the run game effectively. And I think that was surprising Alabama. And it's like I said before, I don't think they're going to be able to do that against Michigan, though. Uh, and and the, they ended up leaving Caleb Downs at safety and playing Malachi Moore at star. But was that because of the way, even though Georgia uh, personnel-wise operates, they still like to throw to set up the run? So Alabama didn't feel this need to stop what they do primarily, which primarily, or excuse me, they, they didn't, the run's not their primary goal, uh, it, it, you know, Georgia's offense. And so maybe Alabama didn't feel the need to make that switch. Does that mean it'll continue to be the same way against Michigan? Maybe or maybe not. Like the fact that Michigan is going to run, want to run the football, and that's how they establish their offensive identity in games and control clock, keep their defense off the field. Uh, then their defense rewards them by, you know, they're playing limited snaps and they get long, sustained drives on offense that keeps them off the field. They reward them by putting their offense in favorable situations, whether it be with turnovers. Or, you know, pinning a, a team back deep as far as, you know, creating some negative plays early in drives, making them punt from deep in their own territory, things like that. Um, you know, so what is what does Alabama like to do? Do they play Caleb Downs at star or do they leave Malachi Moore there? Even though I think this matchup would lend itself more than the Georgia matchup did as far as playing Caleb Downs at star, there's a part of me that's like, just leave it alone. I I, I want to see Caleb Downs being that alley defender. I want to see him get some some room to run and roam and 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 move him around, make some plays. I think that adds a different wrinkle to Alabama's defense. And as good as I think Malachi Moore is, I think he does not provide that from the safety position. I don't think Jalen Key provides that from the safety position. And but I do think you get effective play out of the star if it's Malachi Moore. Um, and he's a good enough run defender. In fact, I would probably say he's he's a better run defender than he is a cover star. So it's not like you're sacrificing a ton. Now, if Alabama's struggling from the star position to stop the run and they feel like they could get more out of Caleb Downs, that might be something that they make. You know, they might have been playing them both there and kind of rotating them, and then they end up shifting, and then Caleb Downs becomes a lot more of the full-time guy star in this particular matchup. I don't know. But that is a conversation worth having because originally I kind of scrapped the idea based off of what I saw against Georgia. But really, if you look at it and you analyze it, it's like, I mean, it just the fact that Michigan wants to run the football, that's their primary goal offensively. That could be the difference that makes does, in fact, make Alabama change or make that switch. And they've had plenty of time for, you know, Malachi Moore seemed out of sorts at safety a little bit. Caleb Downs seemed a little out of sorts against Auburn at star, but they've now had a month to essentially get more comfortable in those roles. So they might, Alabama might feel more comfortable doing that now than they did, you know, a month ago. And so that might make a difference as well. But if I was Alabama, I'd probably leave it alone. That That's exactly what I would do. I think Caleb is most comfortable at deep safety. And I think Malachi is most comfortable at star. And that's what you should do because Malachi is not deficient in terms of 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 dealing with Michigan. I think he's at his best uh, as a disruptor in the run game. I mean, it would be nice to have two Caleb Downs, you know, play, play one of him at star and the other one deep safety. Another thing you can do with Caleb when he plays safety is you have a lot more of a comfort level in what's happening at the back end with 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 such a, you know, the best fresh 
running college football back there, you have such a comfort level that you can be more aggressive up front and, and, and you can, you can say, okay, everyone up front, uh, we're going to be really aggressive because we're not worried so much about the back end. We don't need extra guys back there. I mean, we, we, we got Caleb, he can cover up mistakes. We got the two, two best corners in college football, the best duo uh, out there. Uh, and we can just defend these Michigan, the Michigan pass game with uh, with the D- DB guys. And hey, the front seven, y'all just pin your ears back. And go go get Blake Corum. Go get Donovan Edwards. Uh, you know, I think Deontay Lawson, who's who's a really good uh, when he's healthy in that spy role. I don't know that Alabama is going to spy McCarthy a lot, but you do have to keep McCarthy from hurting you in the run game. I think Deontay Lawson uh, is, is a f- phenomenal defender in in that context. Uh, and, and we're going to, so I, I like this matchup for Alabama defensively. Uh, I do think it's a challenge. Uh, it's, it's, it's similar to Georgia, but as you've, uh, expertly pointed out, it's, it might be very similar alignments, but they're not going to do the same things. And when it's third and three, uh, Georgia can throw the ball and hurt you and maybe even score. Uh, I think when it's third and three for Michigan, they're going to run the ball, and 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 Alabama's well suited to defend that. I know Alabama gave up a ton in the run game against Auburn, uh, but Auburn does it with with a little smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of misdirection. There's a lot of hey, we can't line it up and run it right at you, so we're not even going to try. We're just going to make you guess as to who's got the ball and what angle this is coming from, and and we're going to move our our smallish offensive linemen around. And good luck uh, knowing what we're about to do here. Uh, I think Michigan's going to be a lot less magic show and a lot more uh, bulldozer. There's going to be more construction here. It's more, hey, big and physical, and uh, we're not going to disguise anything. You know, you're you're going to have a pretty good idea what's coming. It's just you're going to have to be dealing with an NFL-level uh, player in terms of stopping it. Blake Corum is an excellent, excellent player. I like how you pointed out early in the show, Clint, He's great in short yardage. He really is. And, and when, when I describe a lot of short yardage backs, I think people automatically go to, oh, he must be 225. He must be 230. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, he's not the biggest back Alabama's faced all year by any means. He's just got a knack for it. He's physical. He's a natural back. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. I don't think he'll be, you know, a, a, a 1,500-yard NFL guy. But he's going to be a good NFL back, part of a committee. And the reason he's so good is that short yardage. I mean, he he falls forward. Uh, there's always a lot of forward momentum to him. If, if there's just one defender between him and the goal line, and I'm telling you what, one of the fun matchups we're going to see Monday afternoon, Clint, we will see this a couple of times. Will be Blake Corm has the ball and he's making a good gain, and there's about to be a physical confrontation between Blake Corum and Caleb Downs. And that that's going to happen a few times in this game, and boy, I, I think NFL scouts they're they're going to they're 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 going to love that. I mean, that that's two future NFL players going at it right there, and you can see that coming. But overall, I like where Alabama is in this matchup, and uh, I, again, uh, Michigan. I think in the end, Alabama is better suited to win the game because even on the defensive side of the ball. I think Alabama is just a bit more dynamic and more likely to make a big play, both sides of the ball, more likely to make a big play. And I think it's be a close game. And I think one or two big plays will decide it. I just think Alabama is more likely to make that big play than Michigan. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm there with you. 
And, you know, we've seen uh, Corum has been compared. To, there's two guys that I've seen him compared to, and I like both comps. Doug Martin, the former Boise State running back, played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Muscle Hamster was his nickname. And then Kenneth Walker, who played at Michigan State, now with the Seattle Seahawks. Good running back. Not a necessarily a dynamic presence as far as receiving ability out of the backfield, but just a hammer running the football. Very effective. We know how Kenneth Walker was or how good he was for Michigan State a couple of years ago. And so for fans, uh, I think those are pretty good comps that, you know, if you're familiar with either of those two, that should give you a pretty good idea of who Blake Corum is as a player. Um, but when I look at, you know, Alabama and what Michigan – like, I don't know that Michigan has the speed defensively. And we'll see. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong on this. But, like, Junior Colson, he's like a 250-pound linebacker. And, you know, Michael Bennett is, you know, 239 or 240 or something like that. I'm not saying they can't run. They can certainly run. But they're not like, uh, you know, Georgia has some speed at off-ball linebacker. I think they were a little too reliant on that. And they was there was such an emphasis on slowing Jalen Milrow down that they did uh, they they did a little bit too much, but just their second level speed at linebacker with some guys uh, the freshman and I'm drawing a blank on his name um, Rylan Wilson yeah he you know he's a guy can really get sideline to sideline like a heat seeking missile Reuben Foster esque in that way you know uh, you know Roquan Smith where he could just the guy's a lightning rod. I don't think Michigan has that on the second level, and they but they have both the players are really good. Uh, they're going to be playing on Sundays, no question about it. Are they going to be first round picks or second second round picks? No, I think third round is probably ceiling, more than likely early day three for a guy like Colson. We'll see what happens with Michael Bennett eventually, but um, you know I, I don't know that they necessarily have the speed that's going to be required to slow down Jalen Milrow. Um, and how do they, you know, how do they handle that? How do they adjust? I could see them, you know, sending a lot of pre- pressure, you know, from their nickel guy, trying to force Milrow to one side or the other, uh, you know, and then compensating for that off the other side because they're expecting it more, but just anything to kind of get him on the move. But it's all about the pressure and immediately getting him in situations where he's uncomfortable. And Georgia didn't do that enough. You look at what Auburn did on the last play, fourth and 31, didn't send anybody at all, you know, sent two guys, zero pressure, and he had all day to, to kind of figure things out, and he ends up throwing a dime for the game-winning touchdown. I think the name of the game, even though you're going to pay for it because Alabama has made teams pay that sent pressure, you know, Texas did a good job of pressuring Jalen Milrow, forced him into some mistakes, but in that game, Milrow also had some vertical shots that he connected on. He's connected on a ton of vertical shots throughout the entire season. If you're Michigan, I think you kind of got to live by that and die by that. Like you're, And one thing I will say about Michigan defensively is they are pretty aggressive, and they do take some chances, especially on the back half of their defense. And so I could totally see them taking the approach of we're going to make them extremely uncomfortable. We're going to hit Milrow. We're going to pressure Milrow. We're probably going to give up a big explosive play downfield. We might give up a couple. We're going to have to put some points up offensively to compensate for that, but uh, we also feel like we can force Milrow into some mistakes and, and continue to play 
in a way that they have all season, which is their defense putting their offense in in ideal situations by forcing a turnover or you know all those things that I talked about before. So I think that'll be really fascinating to watch to see exactly how Michigan attacks Milrow. Um, but just if he's able to consistently get to the second level with his legs, he, Michigan's going to have a really hard time because I don't think they have the speed that they're going to need to on the second level. And third level, they have the speed, I guess. Um, but I don't, I don't think they're as fast as Alabama secondary either. So that'll be interesting. One other thing that I'd wondered, because we talk, we've been talking about Blake Corum and Michigan's run game, and you know one important player, a guy who we all thought was going to be a huge part of Alabama's defense this year, and he's been good. He's been better than I think some fans give him credit for, but one guy who just hadn't made the impact that we were all expecting is Jaheim Otis. But we also don't know. I don't think he's been healthy. There's, Nick Saban hadn't come out and said he's not 100%. He's mentioned no one's asked Nick Saban. You know, we got the updates on Elijah Pritchett and Jace McClellan and all these other guys yesterday, but nobody's asking about Jaheim Otis. It's just it hadn't really been. He missed some time early in the year. He's worn a knee brace. You've seen him on a pitch count. It's like I don't think he's regressed to a point where he's not a huge part of Alabama's plans. I think it's health-related, uh, but that's speculation on my part, and I want to admit that. But if it is health-related, it could be a situation where he's not, not ever going to be 100% until the offseason. He maybe, maybe has some sort of minor surgery to fix something, and then he heals back up and he's back closer to full, uh, full strength in the spring. Maybe it's the summer. Maybe it's next fall. But either way, um, it also could be a situation where this month off, essentially, really ends up helping him, and he's closer to 100%. And if he is, how big of an impact do you think he could end up having on this game? Because I think he's got some interior disruptive traits as far as a pass rusher a little bit, but he's more of a run stopping guy. And, and so, you know, this style of offense that Michigan brings to the table, I don't think we're talking enough about the potential impact that a guy like Jaheim Otis could have. No, I I love that. You know, when Jaheim's out there, it's almost sort of like having two nose guards, you know, when you have Jaheim and Tim Keenan, I mean, in terms of stopping, the inside run at the point of attack. I think Keenan and Otis are, are similar in that way. Keenan's a bigger guy now than Otis. But uh, I think, you know, in terms of Jaheim's season, why it hasn't gone like some might may have anticipated is, gosh, during our long spring and summer breakdowns, Clint, in terms of like when we talked in depth about what the defense is going to look like, uh, all of our projections included Tim Keenan. Uh, uh, you know, not we didn't have him as the starting nose guard. We had Jaheim Otis as a starting nose guard. And in fact, Tim Keenan's been the every down nose guard, for lack of a better term. And Otis has been a defensive end. He's, he's not played the same position he played as a freshman. So I think that's affected him in some ways. But I, I agree totally that I, I think there's been an injury situation as the best uh, guess uh, in terms of like, why he hasn't played as many snaps as you would think. Uh, there's been some games where he's been pre precious few snaps, other games where he's played more of a full game. Uh, and, and believe it or not, people, the production, he's actually been more productive this year than last year, but you would expect a defensive end to make more plays than a nose guard. And, uh, you know, in that sense, Jaheim has made plays. I think Jaheim is another example, Clint, of why this Alabama team is sort of well-suited to defend a Michigan and what Michigan wants to do because Jaheim Otis is such a natural run stopper and not a nose guard. I think if you have Keenan 
and Otis on the field at the same time. And then the third guy's the slightly more dynamic Justin Aboigby, who can penetrate, who can get outside, who can rush the passer on some play action. He can still get after the quarterback. Uh, I love that defensive front against Michigan, those three. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Turner and Braswell. Uh, what more can you say about them? Uh, extremely productive. Uh, Michigan, I've noticed Michigan's writers uh, and their experts, they mention Dallas a lot whenever they're talking about Alabama. You can tell they probably haven't faced too many guys like him. And uh, with Michigan's right former right tackle, now a right guard, and starting a newer guy at tackle, they probably should be rightfully concerned about getting Turner blocked and Brass on the other end. So uh, I like the matchup for Alabama. I think the defense will keep them in this game. I will be very surprised if the game goes in Michigan's favor. If me and you in the in the post game in the post mortem, when it's over, if me and you are saying, "Gosh, Alabama's defense just didn't hold up against that bunch," I I will be surprised. I won't be shocked if if we're talking about some offensive deficiencies that lead to a bad result. That won't shock me. Uh, I'll be disappointed. It's not what I'm expecting. But I think if Alabama comes up short, it's probably more likely from offensive deficiencies. Uh, I, I, I think the defense is going to show up, and I think the defense is going to keep Alabama in the game. And all the defense can really do in 2023, Clint, is keep the offense to a score that the offense can top. You know, hold them to 17, hold them to 20, hold them to 21. And then the offense better score more than 21. It, it, in this day and age in college football, you better score more than 21 or you're not going to win the game. I, I think Alabama's defense will hold Michigan to a point level where you can expect the offense to win it. Doesn't mean they will, but I, I think you could expect the offense to score in the mid to high 20s and win the game. Yeah, and, and with Jaheim Otis, just for me, um, you know, it, He's he can he's continued to lose weight. Like he went from 340, 335, 340 last year to he's down to close to like he's like 305 now or 310 or you know, uh, it's maybe even lighter than that. And it's like he didn't do all that to play less snaps, you know, like that that was kind of the benefit of dropping the weight is that he could be more flexible uh or versatile in the way that you can use him. You can play him out there at defensive end a little bit more. But, you know, the biggest benefit was that he would be in better condition to hold up on more snaps. And the fact that he's not playing more snaps, to me, is one of the telltale signs that, you know, he's not 100% healthy. And, you know, I think Tim Smith playing good football this year and kind of, to a certain extent, taking that next step certainly helps. And it might have played into this a little bit. But I think more so you would be seeing more of Jaheim Otis if he was 100% healthy. And maybe he will be uh, for this game. And if he is. I don't think we're talking about enough about his potential impact because he is he we talked a lot about him in the offseason. He hadn't been healthy this year. I think he's been very limited and he still played some pretty darn good football at times. And so just what could he be with three and a half weeks off uh to, to rest up and get closer to a hundred percent? And if he's we see the same role and we see the same guy. I'm going to just adopt this idea that more than likely it was something that just he needed the offseason. He needed to get to the offseason to, to correct whatever issue he's having. Um, and once again, that's just assumptions. Let's not go running with this idea. Of, you know, it's, it's a confirmed thing that Jaheim Otis is dealing with an injury, but it's just something to keep in mind. 
The last thing I want to say about this game, uh, Michigan's deep. Uh, they're, they're deep defensively. Their defensive line rotation especially, very, very deep. And that's what makes them different than a lot of teams that Alabama has played. How do you counter depth? Tempo. And Alabama, you know, they've, they've run some tempo, um, but I could see them doing a little bit more of that in certain situations to try to keep Michigan's depth off the field as much as possible and prevent the rotation and, and Fort. Now, granted, they can do it more on a drive-by-drive basis, but if Alabama can have some long, sustaining drives, uh, it, I think that's where really you can start to use some tempo, prevent them from subbing, and then getting them more down on a particular drive. On the next drive, you'll probably see a fresh new set of guys and so the other guys will get some breaks, and I don't think you're going to reach a situation where you keep any one particular group or player on the field too much, and he's exhausted by the end of the game. I just think that you know, as I, these guys aren't used to long sustained drives, and so I think that maybe you could see a little bit of that to try to limit uh, the in series rotation that you've seen out of Michigan, and just you know, like I said, they they probably they're at least run too deep. And in some spots, they run three deep. Um, and so it's just a matter of trying to limit that in whatever way possible. Uh, Jimmy, do you have anything else before we hop out of here? And we'll, I'll tell you what, we'll finish up with score predictions. And sure. we'll go a little bit more in depth in this. And uh, we'll have the staff predictions and stuff. And, and I'm sure we'll use probably the same thing, um, it, unless one of us changes our mind before then, which I doubt it. But uh, we'll go ahead and talk about it a little bit here and give people who listen to the YouTube channel a little bit of a preview as far as what our score predictions are. Yeah, uh, to me, I'm a big scoreboard watcher. And by scoreboard watcher, I know that that, that phrase usually means, hey, you're watching scores of other games. But no, to me, a scoreboard watcher means, you know, in this context, means uh, there's a certain point level, I, I think, of comfort or a certain point level where it becomes extremely difficult for one team or the other or sometimes both teams to win the game. I see Alabama and Michigan as very similar offensively. They do it a little differently. They both want to line up in 12 personnel and be successful on the ground. That's what they both want to do. But in this day and age, you really need more dynamic quarterback play to score. And they both have guys that will do it. I call J.J. McCarthy dynamic. He certainly is uh, maybe not as dynamic as Milrow. And I think ultimately that, that makes the difference in the game. Alabama has one or two more big plays that allows them to pull away and win. Uh, I will say if Michigan scores 27 in this game, I don't think Alabama will win. Uh, you, you've got to hold them under that number. Uh, and I think Alabama will. Uh, again, we, we went over it in the show. I, I mean, how, how Alabama's defense matches up. I think they will match up well and hold Michigan to 17. And, uh, and Alabama makes a big play maybe in the fourth quarter. Uh, let's go uh, Milro to Bond again. Uh, for a big play in the fourth quarter, maybe not at the end, but but late, and uh, Alabama wins twenty four to seventeen and advances to the national championship game. Uh, I like it, um, man. I I've, I realize that I very rarely take unders. Granted, if you're anybody that asks me my opinion on an over under, they're putting money on it. And anytime someone asks me for my opinion and I give it, I automatically start pulling for what I gave them because I don't want to lose them money. Uh, so that's where I never bet my own money, but I certainly get involved. Like I'm gambling when I've given, you know, uh, I get asked my opinion a lot and there's nothing I hate more than giving someone bad advice. 
but I, I hate pulling against uh, teams scoring. I, I absolutely hate it. I hate taking the under. So just naturally, I pull for the over, and I kind of lean that way anyways. If there was a game where I would go under, this might be one that I would consider. Like, you go in 24-17, that's what, 41? I think the over-under is 44.5, so that would hit the under. I don't think that's unreasonable. I have it hitting over, and I have it hitting over fairly big because that's just the way that I, I operate. And in these games, the way that I see it playing out, I could see it being a one-point game, like a 24-23 Alabama late. And then whether it be, you know, McCarthy trying to make something happen, putting them in, in field position for a game-winning field goal, whether it be Alabama having the football and, you know, Michigan's trying to get a stop to get the football back, trying to make their final drive for a, a field goal attempt or something, and they sell out and Alabama pegs them and scores a late touchdown pick six you know if it's McCarthy trying to lead him down something like that I think a late touchdown could end up pulling it away where it looks more lopsided than it actually was like I could see a 31-23 final score but one of those touchdowns being fairly late and so it's like Alabama won by eight they won pretty convincingly more than a touchdown but it's like did they you know it's like it was 24-23 with a minute and a half left or whatever um, that's kind of, that, that was my score prediction that I put on the cheat sheet that I put up at Bama online. I'm going to stick with it. And you know, that, that does not mean that I think Alabama is necessarily eight points better than Michigan. That's just how I kind of predict. And there's nothing really in particular other than I think Alabama puts Michigan in a situation where they're the ones trying to make a late game push and Alabama is able to take advantage of that and maybe end up scoring another touchdown to put to really put it out of reach. But uh so I'll go 31-23 and I think it'll be a fun game, a good game and then we'll see what ends up happening between uh Texas and Washington. Hopefully that's exactly the conversation we're having on Tuesday where we're continuing to preview. Uh we're obviously we're recapping the game, but we're also talking a little bit about okay, national championship uh the following Monday. Or maybe we're just recapping and then it's, you know, getting into the offseason stuff. But either way, this has been a blast, Jimmy. Uh, the content's not going to be slowing down. We're going to be doing, you know, a lot of coverage of, you know, uh, this game and the national championship game. Alabama's in it, but also the offseason coverage, all the things that are going on um, as far as roster turnover and additions and everything else. So, don't think that the video stuff's going to be slowing down much once we hit the off season, but this is either way, this has been a ton of fun and uh, I hope we're able to keep it going at least one more week. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see what, what our show is like uh, literally next Tuesday. Will it be, will it be uh, excitement and, and one more game preview of the, of the big one or uh, will we be going, well, you know, don't be too upset. Uh, I mean, how many, if you if you never expected Alabama to get this far, then how can you be upset? That's that's a good point. And I mean, a lot of people they're being honest with themselves. A lot of people didn't think Alabama would get to this point. And it's just at least we didn't stop the the season, the coverage and stuff uh, three and a half weeks ago. You know, like we did last year. And I'm not saying that we didn't cover the Sugar Bowl at all, but it's like the interest in there. It, we'll look at Georgia and Florida State. I mean, they got 40 players who are opting out. And Alabama didn't have that issue. Their superstars played. But it's just, you know, the, it was more of, okay, it, how can Alabama use this game to kind of help itself for the next year? Uh, you know, that was kind of the approach. And it wasn't as much. Fans weren't just itching 
to get a huge win, even though I'm sure they wanted to. Anytime Alabama steps on the field, you wanted to win the football game. But it was just it was a different, different feel. It was a lot more looking towards the future and you know who are some players who could play to help them out next year, things like that. Just the fact that they made it to the college football playoff and they've given us this time to continue to, you know, uh, there's meaningful football left. That's been a blessing, and we appreciate it. And hopefully, they're able to keep that going just one more week before we hit the off season. But we'll see. Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you. I appreciate everybody who's listening in. If you haven't already, like this video, subscribe to the channel, hit that notification bell, and then also go subscribe to BAM Online. We've got a ton of stuff going on over there. Message board community is fantastic. Uh, a lot of premium content plus content that you're not going to get anywhere else. And also, you know, just you got the basketball team and everything else going on. And so there's a lot going on. It's, it's a great opportunity and a great time to be joining up with BOL. Great staff over there. Love being a part of it. And Jimmy, once again, I appreciate you. And we will do this again soon. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.